Have you ever been so lost that you didn't know where you were? I mean, have you ever been so lost that you didn't know not only where you were, you, you couldn't even remember how you got there or how you were going to get back? Have you ever been so far away from where you thought you were that where you were, you, you were nowhere ever close to where you intended to be? Now, I know a lot of you have the little GPS gizmos in your cars and a lot of you have the MapQuest thingies on your cell phones. I'm not talking about that kind of lostness. I'm not talking about being lost and trying to find your way to 96 Connector or the Lodge and, and, and navigate downtown. The lostness I'm talking about is being far away from God. You, you embrace Jesus Christ and faith in Christ and you started off with such passion, with such determination, with such joy for the Lord. You, it seemed like you could hear the voice of God so clearly, so cleanly, so distinctly. And now... It's pretty gray where you live now. You kind of lost your way spiritually. And for a lot of you, it's probably been a long time since you could say, you know, for with definite assurance, I could say that I heard the voice of God or I felt the presence of God in my life today. I'm not talking about getting excited because we learn a new praise and worship song. I'm not talking about because we sing the songs that we love to sing in church. I'm talking about experience the true, pure presence of God himself in the course of your life. See, a lot of us have lost our way. You don't really know how you got there. You didn't intend to get there. And where you are right now spiritually is nowhere even close to where you intended to be. And for a lot of you, the question is this morning is, how do I find my way back to God? I believe in God and gave my heart to God and, and, and I embraced Jesus Christ and I believe at one time he forgave me of all of my sins. But man, I am so far away from where I want to be. I'm so far away from where I should be. I'm so far away that it has been a while since I've heard the voice of God. As I deal with people and their sinfulness and their relationship with the Lord, one of the questions that always breaks my heart is when they tell me of the sin that they are involved in. And I look at them and I said, but didn't you hear the voice of God going, no, my child, don't do that. And the response is almost always related to this phrase. Pastor, I'm so far from where I need to be. I don't hear anything anymore. Am I talking to some of you that need to find your way back home? Welcome to Psalm 51. For those of you who are misguided, misled, for those of you who have wandered away, for those of you who are struggling to find your way back home, Psalm 51. There's a psalm right there just for you. It's a psalm of lament. It's a song of deep hurt. Not because a child has died, not because life has been lost, but because he has lost that closeness and that relationship, that fellowship with God himself. The background to the song, and it's amazing that this would be a song that Israel would sing. The background to the song is attributed to, this, to King David. It's a story of how he was lost and 
He, the story of how he lost his way is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 12. Don't turn there. Just make a note that this is the basis of Psalm 51. David's the king. He's the king of Israel. It is a world power. He is not only a world leader. He is like the law. David as king is one of God's representatives on the earth. There's the prophet, there's the priest, and there's the king. And David was the guy who killed Goliath. David was the singer of Israel. David was the one who led men into battle and brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. David was the one that the, that the nation of Israel would sing the song, Saul kills his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. In other words, David is the man. And he was riding high the way of success and it was just like one spiritual victory after another and a spiritual victory after another. And then all of a sudden he lost his way. Well, it wasn't all of a sudden. See, you never get away from God just like that. It's never a big step away from God. If you're not where you ought to be with God, it's because you took a lot of little steps along the way. David's little steps... It was the spring of the year in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And David should have gone off to war with his men because that's in near ancient in the Near East, in the ancient Near East, that's what the kings did. It was just kind of like the, the seasonal war, and you reclaimed your turf after the winter, and you solidified your cities, and you solidified national boundaries. And so the kings would go off to war and restake the land. David sent his men off to war, but he didn't go to war. You find him in a place where he shouldn't be, and then it's the middle of the day, and he's walking upon the roof. Now, the roof isn't like our roofs that have a 410 or 412, 410 or whatever kind of pitch they got on them. They were living spaces. They were part of that, the habitat of the, of the home, bringing the outside in if you watch Home and Garden TV. And so David was up there. Probably looking over the city of Jerusalem, but he probably knew Bathsheba was on the other rooftop. And Bathsheba probably knew the king was in town. I don't want you to think that this is some innocent tryst. I don't want you to think that this is something that just happened in an explosive, explosive motive of passion. To understand the Hebrew and the language of Second. Samuel 11, this was cold, it was calculated, it was premeditated. There were a lot of steps along the way. So David sees Bathsheba, this beautiful woman, taking a bath. He sends for her. Overcome with lust and passion, he has sex with her. But she's a married woman. Uriah, her husband, is one of the chief captains in Israel's army. He is a respected man of valor. He is a man of honor. And David, the king of Israel, God's representative, defiles this woman. She becomes pregnant. Sends word back to David that we got problems, king. It's your child. David hatches a plan. He would send Joab to get Uriah. Joab was another captain of, the, captain of the guards, a mighty man of valor. He would send Joab to get Uriah, to bring Uriah home. And certainly a soldier on leave from a beautiful wife would take that opportunity to engage in physical activity with his wife. 
But Uriah was an honorable man. It broke his heart that he was home in, in Jerusalem, living in, in, quote, luxury, while his men were sacrificing for the glory of God in, in battle. And so he could not bring himself to go home to Bathsheba. He slept in the city gates with the other men. Well, that plan didn't work. And when you have sin in your heart, you got one or two options. You got one or two directions you're going to go. You're either going to run to God and confess that thing, or you're going to run and try to cover it up. It's either confession or cover up. And here's where David went. He got this idea, and he told Joab, remember the guy that originally got Uriah? He said, Joab, here's the plan. All of the men are fighting at this town called Reba. And at Reba, there's got to be a point in the battle. There's got to be a place in that fortified wall where the battle will be the hardest and the strikest. Send Uriah there. And when the battle is the fiercest, pull all the men back. Sound the retreat, but don't let Uriah know. So that it's... Uriah won, and the enemy, 200, 300, 1,000. That plan worked. He died in battle along with other men. Died to cover up David's sin. Bathsheba mourns, as was the custom of Israel. And then she reconvenes that relationship with David and marries him. I want to say a word here. The marriage didn't make any of that right. Did you hear me? There is a misguided notion in our culture that if a guy gets a girl pregnant out of wedlock, that the marriage makes it right. Marriage does not make sin right. Right. So David went for the cover-up. Oh, you've done it too. Some of you say, I haven't had sex with another woman. But no, you sit there and you look at porn on the internet. Pastor, I'm not as bad as all of that. Well, you just kind of gossip. Hurt people with your tongue. You lie, you cheat, you steal. Careless with the testimony that God has given you. You see, we all have those sin issues. For David, it was adultery. For you, it may be something else. But we all have those things that we either need to confess or we try to cover up. And David ran for the cover-up. And anytime you go for the cover-up, I'm telling you, you go in a direction that's farther and farther and farther away from God. When you start walking in a direction away from God, the blessings of God stop. Please understand, when I was in Dunn, North Carolina, we had a, a Sunday school teacher and a Sunday school superintendent. They didn't teach me anything about this at Bible college, had an adulterous relationship in our church. I sat in the woman's home and, and literally had all the scripture and just with a broken heart tried to, tried to bring her back to a relationship to Christ. And she looked at me and she used the life of David. And she said, listen, David had an adulterous relationship, and he ended up all right. Just so you know the rest of the story, let me give it to you in a nutshell. The son that David and Bathsheba had died. 
A preacher by the name of Nathan came and pronounced a judgment on David that his house would now begin to deteriorate and be in shambles. And what started the whole downward spiral and that the sons of David would lie with the wives of David in an open forum. So what happened is one of the sons of David named Amon had just was had a half-sister named Tamar who was this beautiful woman and he just had lust and passion for her, duped her, tricked her into coming and taking care of him under the guise of being sick. He raped her. Absalom, her whole brother, was furious and for two years carried hatred in his heart, so discord among the family until finally he killed Amon in revenge for the rape of Tamar. Sounds like everything worked out all right, didn't it? Absalom then would form a military coup, run David out of town, bring his wives into a public arena, a public area, and then there have an adulterous relationship with each one of them, defaming them in public. Sounds like everything worked out all right. And David's kingdom was never again what it was when he walked with God. I want you to understand there are serious consequences when you do not run to the confession side of God's mercy. When you go to the cover up and you say, I've got sin in my heart. I know there's sin in my heart, but I'm going to just cover up the whole thing. And nobody's like, you know what? You cover it up for a little bit. But there's a verse in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. It's a real simple verse. It says, be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure your sins will find you out. You cannot cover it up long enough. You cannot hide it forever. Somewhere, some way, somehow, your sin you thought you had contained, your sin you thought you had covered up, your sin you thought you had packaged and bottled up and took all the loose ends and, and bound them together. Some way, somehow, your sins will find their way out. It's kind of like the movie Deliverance. Remember there at the end? They, the guys are going down the river and they kill the guy and they tie him to the rocks and they throw him to the bottom of the river. And the last, move, the last part of the movie is the body and the hand raises back up out of the water. Remember that? I know you're hearing the banjos right now, right? <laughs> Please understand. Be sure your sins will find you out. You say, Pastor, that's in the Old Testament. Okay, got one for you in the New Testament. The Bible says that... Be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. In other words, you will not get away with sin, God has a way of reckoning sin. He says you can either confess it, you can either cover it up, but I will deal with it. And I'm telling you, you always want to deal with sin on the confession side because mercy is here. When you try to cover it up, judgment is here. So where do you run? Psalm 51. Would you open your Bibles to Psalm 51? If you want to find your way back to God, there has to be three things. Confession, forgiveness, and restoration. 
We don't hear a lot about forgiveness anymore or confession anymore, do we? Because we're private people. (laughs) I'm amazed at how many people, because you can't hide sin, know what you do, but you try to cover it up. Here's David. If you want to find your way back to God, there has to be serious confession for specific sin. Let me say that again. There has to be serious confession for specific sin. There has to be an honest awareness of your sin. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before you. And it's before me. See, if you want to find your way back to God, you've got to have serious confession for specific sin. Do you see it in verses 2 and 3? He says, my iniquity, my transgression, my sin. He said, it's always before me. The guilt of it, the shame of it, I can cover it up. I can tie the loose ends together, but it's still there. And it drives a wedge between our relationship. I know I need to confess it. I know I need to admit it. I know I need to embrace what I've done and just say, God, I am sorry. But we are so proudful, aren't we, that we do this whole cover-up thing. And he says, God, my sin, my transgressions, my iniquities, they're always before you. Listen, just because you sin today and God doesn't punish you tonight, just because you sinned last week and judgment hasn't come today, doesn't mean that God's let you off the hook. It just simply means God's on a different time schedule than you are. You've got a finite amount of time to make it right with God and and take care of business with God. God's got all eternity to take care of business with you. Did you hear me? You've got a limited amount of time to take care of business with God. God's got all eternity to take care of business with you. David said, my sin, my transgressions, my iniquity, they're always before you. David wrote that its sin had changed his heart and changed his relationship with God. So much so, look at verses 11 and 10 and 11. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take the Holy Spirit away from me. That's why he said in verse 4, And don't you hear the ache of his heart in verse 4? Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God, I didn't make a boo-boo. It's not a character flaw. This isn't like a, a personality kind of mistake thing. God, I have sinned against you and against you only have I sinned. And it changes everything. David went the wrong direction. He went to the direction of cover-up. If he would have went to the direction of confession, what does that look like? I think there's a couple of things involved, and you'll see them in the passage that we've already read. First of all, I think that uh, you have to understand 
that for you to seriously confess sin, that you have to realize that, that in your life, you not only need to be aware that God is involved, but the Bible says that your sin, if you've done it against anybody else, you've done it against God. Matthew chapter 25, verses 40 and 45, says this, if you've done it unto one of the least of these, if you've done it unto thee, if you've done it unto others, you've done it to me. If you've gossiped about somebody else, Jesus said you've gossiped about me. If you've looked at porn with somebody else, you've looked at porn against me. Hey, he says it's, it's the same. And so what we have to do if we have sinned, if, if you're going to embrace the stain of confession, if you're going to run away from the cover-up and run to the confession, there's a couple of things you've got to do. First of all, you've got to admit it. You've got to admit that you, you've sinned. David said against you and you only have I sinned. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. No more cover-up. No more trying to fix it. No more pride in my heart. God, I throw myself on your mercy. God, I throw myself on your grace. God, I throw myself on your love. David gave us the example and he said, if you're going to do that, you've got to embrace it. you also got to realize, not only do you got to admit it, you got to acknowledge it. There is something spiritual, something I think psychological, I think there's something healing that happens when you confess sin in a specific way. That you just kind of lay it out there. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. When you omit the truth of your sin, there's something freeing in that. When you do it in a, a way that, that you confess it to God. So you embrace it, you admit it, you acknowledge it. And then you realize you're helpless to do anything about it. Look at verse 5. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. It basically, David was saying this. He said, I cannot escape the web of sin I'm tangled in. I can't do anything about it. God, I throw myself on your mercy. See, we've got to understand that God is not a God waiting just to kind of slap us upside the head when you and I mess up. He is a God waiting to hear our confession of sin. He is a God who says, if you just come to me, I give you mercy. The very core of the temple, the very core of the tabernacle, God's relationship with his nation Israel was wrapped around this item in the holies of holies, in the temple, in the tabernacle called the mercy seat. If you read the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, you find that mercy is the Beatitude that is right in the middle of it all. When Jesus gave the parable of the prodigal son who came home to a loving father and a merciful father, and the father represents God's dealings with us, I want you to know that the father gave him a kiss, not a lecture. The father threw him a party, not gave him probation. When you come to God and confess your sin, the greatest thing you get is God's mercy. No more cover-up. No more pride. No more trying to take care of it all. Just simply throwing yourself on God's mercy. Saying, God, forgive me. 
I'm so far away from you. And in my heart, it has been such a long time since I have heard the voice of God. Can't you hear it in verse 1? When he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. See, maybe we just need to pause here. Because there's something special, something necessary, something powerful that happens when we confess our sins and express to God our need for forgiveness of those sins. And then we accept his forgiveness. Mercy is about going to God and saying, God, here it is, and I'm sorry. But it's also about receiving forgiveness. He said, blot out, wash me, cleanse me. Look at verses 7 through 10. And maybe there's some of you here that need, that need to do the confession and forgiveness step in finding your way back to God. Maybe there's some of you who need to hear that Psalm 51 to hear David's psalm where David said in verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop is just kind of a bushy plant that you would use to sprinkle water on. In the, the Old Testament, when they sprinkled the blood over the doorpost of the very first Passover, that's what they used. And so he says, cleanse me. It'd be like saying to your kids, take the soap and the wash rag and clean up good. David says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Snow wasn't a common occurrence in Israel, but it did happen. But through the late fall and the winter and the early spring, almost every Jew could look to Mount, uh, look to the mountain, Mount Hebron and others, and see the snow-covered tops and see its pristine beauty. Let me hear, verse 8 says, joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. In other words, God, you've broken me. Put me back together. Give me mercy. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. Maybe before we do anything else, we just need to bow our heads. And just kind of check out where we are. Maybe today you need to confess sin. Maybe today you need... To deal with adultery, gossip, pornography, backstabbing, unkindness. Maybe today there's just sin issues in your heart that nobody knows about 
but you and God. And you got a choice. You can run away from God and cover it up, or you can run to God and confess. I just want to read verse 7, 8, and 9 to you again. step after confession and rest and forgiveness and that's restoration look at verses 11 12 13 and 15 in psalm 51 and this is the good news because sometimes we feel like our sin disqualifies us from service sometimes we feel like the sin puts us on the shelf sometimes we feel like the sin has scarred us marred us so much that God cannot use us again and listen to what David says do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me then then I'll serve I'll teach I'll be a part of your plan. I'll be a part of the kingdom. I'll be a part of your purpose. I'll be involved in what you're doing. When my sins are confessed and forgiveness is received, then God, thank you that you will still use somebody like me in your kingdom. And I'll take that opportunity. I'll not try to cover it up. But when you give me the opportunity, God, I will use it to teach others the transgressions and the transgressions your ways and sinners will turn back to you because I will share what you have done in my life I'll tell them how forgiving how freeing confession is I'll tell them what peace forgiveness is and I'll tell them what a joy it is to be a part of the kingdom of God and to know your mercy and to know your grace and to know your love so Lord open my lips and my mouth because of what you've done because I have thrown myself on your mercy and found it sweet. Because I have accepted your forgiveness and it has given me peace. And because you are holy and will still use someone like me, God, I declare and today give you all glory, honor, and praise because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Confession, forgiveness, restoration what a wonderful psalm to sing in Psalm 51 would you bow your heads and let's pray together our ushers are going to come and we're going to take the offering just to get it out of the way we're going to sing a song that we sang together and man I hope it means more to you because we've sung the song of Psalm 51 of confession and forgiveness and restoration. God, create in us a clean heart. Lord, hopefully some today have thrown their self on your mercy and they have found forgiveness. They've accepted your forgiveness and that's given them peace. Lord, that peace has given them the assurance that you have restored them and you want to use them and their heart and their experiences to make a difference and with their lips they will praise you creating us a clean heart in the name of Jesus we pray